Hello, and welcome to episode six of Code Combos. Um, I'm the host, Mark Abraham, and today I'm joined with my guest, Cade Gardner. Welcome to the show, Cade. Thanks, Mark. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to have you here as well. I've known Cade for a while, honestly, since my childhood, and I've always looked up to him in one way or another. Um, but now I especially look up to him with, or for his uh, technical expertise, because uh, he... Um, really shined in college, and he, I think he's really shined since as well. Um, so I'm excited to talk to him today. Um, but before we get started, uh, I kind of wanted to just ask a couple questions to get to know you a little bit better, Cade, mm-hmm. uh, if that's all right. Yep. Um, so I guess right off the bat, you know, since we are here on Code Convos, uh, could you uh, just kind of tell us about how you became interested in programming in the first place, maybe? Yeah. So, uh, it's, I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast, listen to all the episodes so far, and it's been interesting to hear the different stories that people have. Uh, I feel like almost every other person is like, Hey, I've studied this my whole life. Like I've been interested in computers or it's the opposite where it's like, nah, those guys are nerds. I would never like enter that space. And then they end up finding it and love it. And I probably fall into that second category. Like never touched software, never been interested in it all through my childhood. Uh, My dad was a civil engineer, is a civil engineer, and he owns his own company. And that kind of, that interests me a little bit, mainly the business ownership side of things, not so much the civil engineering side of things, as I came to look more into it. Um... So yeah, got through high school, still didn't really know what I wanted to do, Uh, served a mission for the church, uh, and then still didn't know what I wanted to do. People would ask me, and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, maybe something with computers. Like, it seems to be uh, like a driving force right now. Um, So then I got home. Two of my brothers actually went into software engineering, uh, and that is kind of what at least made me look into it. Uh, My older brother... He went to college, I don't know what he studied originally, and then he decided to do the University of Utah Code School. I think it's like an 18-month drive it, get done, get a certificate or something, and then you're good to go. Uh, And he's been successful off of that. That was probably my main driver to pick software engineering. And then my next brother down, uh, he, he picked software engineering. I don't know what his story is. Maybe it's kind of the same thing, just saw my older brother doing it and thought it looked fun. So yeah, I had no interest until then. When I was in college, uh, started my generals and then took one code class to see what it was like and loved it. Um, and I know you've had some people have similar stories. So that's, that's kind of how I at least looked into the software programming and then, yeah, I loved it from there on. Wow. That was, uh, yeah, that's super interesting. I like how you touched on, uh, yeah, just like kind of the different time periods, right? Like it sounded like there were uh, lots of time periods of uncertainty and (laughs) maybe also like discovery, right? Yeah. And uh, it's nice to, yeah. I mean, I always say this on each episode, but uh, like everyone may take a different route to get here, but I don't think that any route is a bad route, right? Right. And um, yeah, we're welcoming to all. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting balance because sometimes I look at people who got started earlier and I'm like, I'm competitive. So I see somebody well, that I work with and that's been working, 
working software since he's like 11 years old and he's ahead of me and I'm like dang it man I wish I could just be ahead of that game but you know we all find it and have different drives so definitely for sure okay so that was a really good start into kind of maybe like I guess how you became interested and then a little bit into college as well uh, so can you kind of talk a little bit about what happened after college, maybe like specifically like uh, maybe internships or jobs that you got and then kind of maybe where you're at right now? Yeah. <clears throat> so in the middle of college, I think I was halfway through my junior year. I was working at an RV park, backing up trailers, <laughs> working reception. And uh, my web professor, who I really liked, his name's DJ at Dixie State, uh, he sent out an email, like an email blast to all of his students saying, hey, there's an internship available. Uh, they've typically had good turnaround, like kids come out of there and find another job. Uh, and then you just get paid like whatever Dixie State will pay you. It's out of the university. So it's not great pay, but it's a learning experience and kind of a foot in the door. Uh, so that was my first thing. It was for Park Data for that, that email he sent out. Uh, and Park Data originally was built to support national parks and innovating that space because it's really untouched uh, kind of like any government space is I would say uh, but my boss just found a way to like weasel his way in there uh, through SUU and Dixie State um, and then as I was got started there did some stuff for like Zion but then we got on board with the state and the state parks of Utah uh, so we got to develop all their stuff too, which was really fun to kind of innovate a new space that hadn't been touched. Uh, and it's kind of cool to like, I, I was the first software engineer full-time hire out of there after college and really the only software engineer when I got hired because the, the previous kid had left. So we were building our own path in state, like in the state national park arena which is kind of funny that they're trusting like some junior who didn't who didn't like programming to build out their state park system. But uh, yeah, so went there. I stayed there for two years until I graduated, worked full time for like six months and then moved on to where I am now, which is Zonos. Uh, and I think Kendall described Zonos. So hopefully I don't have to because it's weird. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, now I've been at Zonos for almost two years. Uh so I've only been working like professionalish jobs for four four years total. Nice, but you've had um, sounds like lots of different experiences in that time. Uh, so could you actually dive into that for just like maybe another little second? You know, how was it uh, getting a start into an internship with like the Park Data, where you like maybe didn't have a ton of like oversight? It sounded like it, like you didn't really even have like a maybe a manager that was like uh, coding proficient, really. Yeah. He- <clears throat> he's a genius. Like he knows what he's talking about mm -hmm. and I'm sure he's dabbled in code, but it's not his profession. Mm. Uh, he really specialized in collecting data through sensors and tracking. Uh, and that's where he got the idea for like national and state parks to start counting people. Like I said, it's weird that they trust you with that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was so much fun to like carve your own path in a way for this new software. Um, I didn't really have a lot of mentorship. We had one guy that was remote and he lives in Nevada, I think. And he would just hop on calls every once in a while. If I had like an API that wasn't working and I, I had no idea. 
because uh, I could I could run front end stuff pretty well, but as soon as it came to like touching APIs, I just had no experience to that point. Um, so it was interesting. And he, my boss, he just kind of gave me free reins. He's like, hey, pick which framework you want to use, which I chose Vue because that's what we learned in college. And then I just ran with that and kind of figured out how to make stuff work instead of databases. I was using tons of JSON files, <laughs> just like making stuff work because we had to get it out the door. So uh interesting but really fun gotcha that yeah that does sound super fun and yeah i feel like i could have like a million follow-up questions to that um because it just sounds so interesting but um i i think well actually you you kind of mentioned in there so you mentioned that you kind of gravitated towards front end right as opposed to the other uh work coworker you had was more kind of api backend type mm -hmm. stuff and you said you chose view as the framework that you started to use um so maybe for some of the listeners that aren't as familiar with like maybe the divisions that exist in software engineering, do you think you could describe like kind of what front end is and how it kind of differs with the others? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think typically you have a few different types of engineers. The ones you're commonly going to hear are front end, back end, and full stack. Uh, and those kind of roll together. And then you have like your QA engineers or your DevOps engineers or your data engineers. Uh, which are probably less common in the industry, but still very necessary and very niche if you're like wanting to pick that route. Front end, back end is more your common engineer. Uh, so yeah, front end, back end. I'm curious if you have like a an analogy. Uh, the best one I've heard is like a restaurant that has waiters. They have menus, and you go into the restaurant, and the customer comes in, and they're coming to order food. So they talk to the waiter, they look at the menu, they order what they want, and then they take it back to the kitchen. The chef cooks up what he needs, what's required. Uh, he's in the kitchen with all his different tools, and then it comes back out to the waiter and is delivered to the customer. And that's kind of how I've seen it is we have the front end who kind of acts as that waiter or customer-facing end. Uh, you'll hear UI and UX a lot in front end, which is user interface, user experience. Uh, so that's pretty much what we're doing is, hey, what what do we need from our chef and how can we deliver that to a customer in a pretty way or uh, in a timely manner? Uh, and then, yeah, your back end is the people in the kitchen cooking stuff up that isn't really visible, but is still really important. Um, so in back end, they're going to be handling data architecture systems uh and at zonos we're building a lot of apis which every company has apis they're going to either build them for their front end for their front end to use at zonos we build them for our front end but we also ship them to customers and customers can use our back end apis so they don't even touch our front end sometimes so uh that's those are kind of the two main divisions between front end back end and then you have your full stack engineers which claim to do both <laughs> i think i think a lot of us probably claim that we can do both, but uh, I think you've talked about like the T approach where you have breadth in areas and depth in areas. Uh, I don't, I don't know what you could claim as full stack, but uh, full stack engineers are probably just people that are overconfident, you know? <laughs> yeah, <no laughs> and, kidding. and most of the time somewhat miserable <laughs> because of the workload that they have. Um, okay. But no, that was a great description. Uh, you know, really lays out the land of what exists and the the big categories that exist within programming, right? Because 
uh, I think computer programming as like a blanket term, just <laughs> there's a lot there, you know, and uh, it's very helpful to start breaking these into categories and pieces that identify your particular role and your skill set within an industry mm -hmm. that is growing and, you know, pulsating and <laughs> yeah. doing what it does all the time, you know. Um, it's nice to have some order and some context. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, and I really like that analogy that you had uh, with like the kitchen and the waiter and everything. Uh, so why did you, do you think you gravitated more towards front end then? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I get asked this all the time by students that are looking into software engineering. Like, I don't know, which one do I choose? And it really just comes down to like preference or what you like more. I couldn't say maybe one gets paid higher than the other. I think for the most part, they're paid pretty equally. Uh, so that really didn't have a sway in my decision. Uh, it was really just what it came down to what I loved. Um, the first computer class in, in our college was CS 1400, I think intro to programming or something. And we use Python. Uh, and I just remember being pretty confused at first, like what the freak is a for loop or a while loop? Like, if statements like how does this work because I just wasn't familiar with software programming uh, but then we got into turtle I don't know if you use turtle when you're there but turtle and Python basically you draw shapes and colors with your code and I freaking love that like it was so fun to see something come together and I'll I'll talk about it like it's Lego sets or something like you get instructions you build it and you have something to show for it and I I love that aspect uh, so that's probably why I chose front end more. I didn't like I liked the C++ classes we took. I didn't have a passion for them like I did in the web development classes or even any of the like we did a like a Microsoft app class. And that was more you got to see like a card game or do something with uh, graphics and interface. And that's what I really started to love. There's something very satisfying about being able to actually see with your eyes the result of your like work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with backend, especially the more niche you go, a lot of times it's very hidden <laughs> and it's only known really it's complexity to the creator of it. Right. Uh, but with front end, it's easy to show and like, people love it when there's a great UI. Like it's, it stands out and people notice and say, this is smooth, this is responsive, this is making a difference in my workflow. You know, yeah. this is like an application that I want to come back to because of like how it looks and how it responds. You yeah, know? absolutely. So it's a huge, uh, yeah, it's a huge um, division and it's uh, very valuable uh, when it works out well, mm -hmm. which from what I've seen, it does most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> if you have the right engineers. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I really like how we're kind of putting these pieces together. So like kind of the bigger context, you know, your kind of role in that. I'm also curious to, to know, you know, what, um, what are like the big players in the front end game right now? Like languages, frameworks, and what are like the tools that you see like a lot of front end developers using or maybe gravitating towards right now? Yeah. Uh, so you have your base languages, uh, which are HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, they're all you they they're used together to perform different things, but they all come together to build one nice piece. And then we have frameworks and libraries that wrap those things 
in a bundle to just make them easier for developers because in raw HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, it can be pretty complex to get things to work how you want them to, especially in a clean code environment. <laughs> it gets real messy if you're not using frameworks and libraries. Uh, so there's three that three frameworks slash libraries. Some consider themselves libraries, some consider themselves frameworks. And that's really just based on how much they direct you and what you need to do. Libraries are more like, hey, here's some functions, here's some code that we've written, and you can just use these however you need in your projects. And then there's frameworks that are like, hey, here's our outline, this is how you need to build out your project, uh, but it's gonna help your project run faster, it's gonna be a lot easier to develop in. Uh, so the three main players are React, Vue, and Angular, and you can, chip in if you have any others but those are the three that i think are probably the most popular for front-end developers uh, react was created in 2013 by meta facebook uh, and then they went public with it in 2015 angular i think was 2010 by google uh, and Vue was created by a guy named evan Yu in 2016 i believe so these are kind of the three main players I've seen. Uh, Angular, I think, is falling by the wayside as React gets more popular uh, and Vue. I think Vue is gaining popularity. I don't. I think it's going to stay that way. React's at the top, Vue's in the middle, and Angular's kind of falling by the wayside. Uh, so yeah, I think those are the three main players. Uh, I guess the only follow-up question I'd have to that is, so like most, I guess most front-end positions, most... Uh, that you'd get hired for at a company, uh, what would you say would be like the, the most common like language that they would want you to know to be like adequate in that position? Yeah, React for React. sure. It, especially if you're looking to work for a modern company mm-hmm. who's like cutting edge technology, you're gonna see React more than anything, I think. Uh, not to say that Viewer Angular is bad, it's just more com- like React just has a huge community. There's tons of libraries that people are creating. Uh, to integrate with React. And so you just have like so much options to pull other people's code into your project. So that's already done for you and you can just scale way faster. Mm. Uh, so yeah. Nice. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that will maybe bless uh, some people who are listening to this. <laughs> Cause I know it was always a big debate for me when I, at least when I was in college of like, wow, there's, there's a lot of front-end stuff out there. Which one should I focus on? Yeah. And there's kind of, the college may take its own route um, or whichever you know university that you go to. Uh, but I think it's important to identify for yourself, regardless of what your school system is teaching, the most uh, prevalent and you know useful tools, tools in the industry at that time. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny you say you struggled with it because I did too, because at the college they teach Vue. And so I thought Vue was the way. I was like, oh, like, yeah, I've heard of React. I'm sure it's really popular, but if they're teaching Vue, it's probably like the new cutting edge technology and it's going to take front end by storm. So that's <laughs> interesting you said that. Uh, and I think I know why. Like, I think Vue is just way easier to understand as far as like lifecycle methods and understanding how to piece your HTML, JavaScript, and CSS together. It's like all in one file and you just, well, not. Those three pieces are all in one file, and then you have a bunch of files piecing it all together. But uh, so I just think that's an easier beginner tool. But for sure, 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, if you're okay with it now, Kate, I think we're going to transition for a second. I actually want to touch on something, or I guess switch to a new topic that you talked about at the beginning or mentioned, which was, you know, kind of when you were wanting to get started, uh, you weren't really sure whether you maybe should go the business route. You, you said that you were interested in it and you ended up going the tech route. Um, but I, I know from my experience with you that you have been involved in business, you know, throughout your tech career. And I'm uh, interested to learn more about your like entrepreneurship and maybe some of the startups that you've, uh, you've done as well. Um, do you think that you could kind of touch on some of the history you've had with entrepreneurship and startups? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, like I said, my dad owns a business. I don't know if that's like my my inner origin story of like why I want to do that. It's just always interested me and I'm always in for some extra income, whether that's long-term millions or <laughs> short-term, hey, get some quick cash. Uh, not that it always plays out that way. Sometimes it kicks you in the butt, but uh, it's always been interesting to me to be in my own thing. Um, I think mainly because, you know, two big factors are money and time. And if you own a company, it can pretty much settle that for you if you hit it big. Like, you got money and now you have more time or you get to control your time better. So that was that's probably my main drive is to like, hey, I only want to work 20 hours a week and spend more time with my family. That sounds awesome. Plus, maybe I'll make more money than I would in the career field. Um, so I think that's a big drive for me. Uh, so yeah, and me and me and Mark have been involved in stuff too, and that's been that's been fun. Um, so I've been involved. If if you count Zonos as a startup, everything I've done has been in a startup realm. Uh, Zonos, we're at about 100 employees right now. Some of this probably escaping that realm, uh, but all my other stuff has been. Parks Pass was a startup. Like I said, it was my boss, a designer, and me. It was just us three building that thing. Uh, and in the middle of that job with my internship, uh, one of our buddies uh, came to came to me and said, hey, I have this idea to do a vacation rental management system. And I said, cool. Like, I don't know how to do that, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> and if it hits a big, awesome. Like, I would love to be a part of something like that. Uh, so kind of just without thinking, I said, yeah, let's do it. Like, that sounds really cool. Uh, so we got started, and he started creating ideas for his software that he wanted. He's non-technical, so he was just funneling everything through me. Uh, and I started building it. We started talking to potential customers and getting uh, some market validation on how this thing would work and product ideas. So I started building it, realized it was taking a ton of time. Uh, and I, I, was, I didn't have any kids at the time. I was just married. But still, it felt like I wasn't spending much time with my wife. Uh, so I said, well... I need more help engineering let's let's get mark on board <laughs> so then we called mark got him on board and i don't know you probably fell into the same space it's like well this is taking too much time it's not making enough traction as maybe i thought it would or as fast as i thought it would because uh, really mvp for that thing was like a beast like it needed to have all these different features <clears throat> so eventually i just said i can't do that anymore like <laughs> sorry bro <laughs> uh 
so yeah, I, I quit that one. In the, but in the middle of that, I started a second startup, which was a stupid idea, but it did make some money. Uh, that one was called Fund Fund. It was uh, fundraising software for high schools, high school sports. And I got my brother in on that one to do the engineering for it. And then we had four or five other partners involved. So right out the gate, we had six or seven partners starting this thing, which is a mess. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that for a startup. I would say two to three founders max or else it gets messy. Uh, anyways, so I started building that with my brother. We actually made it. We built it. I probably put in... I don't know, 50 hours ready to go. MVP, we had all the features ready for our first fundraising event. Over time, we probably hit over 100 hours, maybe 80 to 100. Uh, anyways, we started making money and then we just kept getting shut down by uh, counties that wouldn't want our software in their schools. Uh, just because there's already softwares uh, that do fundraising. so. It's really hard to, like I said, government's a hard thing to sway in tech. And the school system is that way. It's like, hey, we already got a thing. Like, we're not really interested. And if we do, we are interested, we have to go through this big approval process. So we did get some approvals and we made some money. Uh, but like I said, having too many partners is just a bad idea. Uh, it didn't go well. Uh, got in some heated discussions about what should be done with finances and stuff. Uh, we kind of ended up just saying, whatever, like we're done. Let's just split the money and back out. So that one's done. I left dormy. So it's kind of out of startups. <laughs> so I just started a new, new thing on my own. I don't think I've told you about it. Uh, I started a drop shipping business. It's not as much about engineering. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with drop shipping. Pretty familiar. Uh, so it's high ticket drop shipping, uh, and that's not, like I said, not so much engineering. So I won't talk about that much on the podcast. But I would say my engineering skills have really helped in that avenue, especially front end where I'm doing marketing and Google Ads. Like I've touched all that stuff before, so it hasn't. It's not super hard to manage. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my <clears throat> startup history, uh, career wise or on my own. It's just it's a passion of mine. Like. I just I want to start something the more I did stuff the more I realized I probably didn't have the experience for it so I'm really excited maybe in the next five to ten years to find something that I really want to do hopefully it's not overly saturated with SaaS companies but we'll see I was just uh, sitting here <laughs> amazed at how many things you've already done since you've graduated college which wasn't that long ago it's been <laughs> what four years right uh, in 2021 <clears throat> two years they say a big part with startups is starting early and failing early because you're going to fail inevitably. And so it's better to get it out of the way early than it is late. <laughs> and Kate is getting all of these experiences while also working another job. And I don't know, I just see your future landing probably exactly where you want it. <laughs> I hope. Finding a startup. It's, well, it's I, me and you running a startup. That's my dream. Man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you hear that, guys? Uh, pull out the investor dollars. It's time to buy in on me and Kid. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I am really impressed actually with all of your experience and just I think your willingness to try new things, right? Like even with uh, 
Dormy at the beginning, you know, how you said, like, I really didn't have any idea of how much work, you know, this was going to be jumped in head first. And sometimes that's the best way to go. Even (laughs) I think that everyone needs to have that experience at least once as a software engineer of agreeing to do something for (laughs) someone and just having no idea, (laughs) like how intense that thing that they requested actually is. Because uh, it is very intense. And I remember thinking a lot in college, like, oh, yeah, this person needs a website. I could do that, like, m- by myself, you know? Yeah. And just not understanding the complexity and the depth and, like, scale and, like, you know, what it takes to, like, really get a business yeah. going, you know, and, like, into into the black. There's a lot of moving pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess along those lines, I wanted to ask you, you know, like, so how did, like, being a programmer for, like, a startup, like, just brand new kind of compared to like maybe working for like i guess zonos you know is a little bit more established right like you kind of come in do your work awesome question because every engineer says this after they get experience but they do it completely different right you learn stuff and you're just like man i really botched that architecture (laughs) like i could have set up the database way better or had better framework or better libraries or cleaner code Uh, And that's completely how I look back on it. Like, I don't regret those experiences because it taught me so much. And I probably wouldn't be in the position I am career-wise if I didn't do those things. But at the same time, like, if I did a startup now, oh, I think it would go so much faster. I think it'd be so much cleaner. And maybe we'd actually get something off the ground that didn't take 200 hours work. (laughs) Like, I just think it would be a lot better. Um so yeah, I, th- I think that's how they compare. But I, w- I wouldn't suggest to wait to do a startup after you have experience because then you lose out on getting experience for your work. I think just, if you can, always be grinding them in. <laughs> Some will work out, like you're, you'll figure your way. But Love that. I'm going to quote that. If you can, always be grinding. <laughs> right here on the podcast yeah, wall. That's right. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. And honestly, it's so true, right? Um, like if your goal i think is to to make it big like you want to be part of like a startup that is going to be rapidly explosive in growth you want to be like there the very beginning a founder i mean we kind of already touched on it but like you're gonna have to probably give it a few goes and there's probably going to be some failed experiences Mm -hmm. and i think that you put yourself in the perfect position you know getting these experiences early of like maybe drama with like the partners or like uh you know, like understanding, like how are how are we gonna slice up the equity of this thing to like make yeah. everyone happy, or like who's gonna do what, and like what is like what we're worth, you know, like in the yeah. grand scheme of things, right? Like all these questions that it's like you don't really have to think about when you just clock into your like nine to five and you're just like coding away, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, but also at the same time, like I don't think you're wrong if you don't want to do any of those things, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, myself, right? Like, uh, Cade mentioned that I was briefly part of Dormy. Um, I think I realized pretty quickly, first of all, that I was way out of my depth <laughs> on that project. Um, and that, you know, like, I really did kind of just like coding, you know? Like, I, I liked, like, the smaller problems, like, the almost, like, contrived, like, you clock into work, solve this one problem today, that's all you have to do, rather than, like, you're responsible for this whole business, making sure it's up and scalable yeah. and, you know, on, like, on the clock all the time. That's just, like, a lot more stress, you yeah. know? 
It's like if I wanted that life, I would become I would have become a DevOps person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> and I I think I've realized that too. Like I'm happy with my my eight to five, because, man, I watch Clint, who's the CEO of Zonos. He's been running this thing since 2011, 2013 or something like that. And he's always on the clock, man. He's thinking new ideas. He's talking to people. So like you can be in a, a startup for 10 years and still not like it's not a it's not passive income. Like you're going to have to work for it. And that I've thought about that, too. Like, I don't know. Maybe I am more of the eight to five person. But at the same time, I, I love doing startups. I think it's fun. So we'll, we'll see what happens in five, 10 years. I don't know. Just yeah. See what life holds. Well, I'm definitely excited for it. Uh, yeah. I'm excited to see kind of the things you start developing and, you know, how you just intertwine technology and business yeah. uh, in the future. Because I think they're just uh, a great partners, you know, because tech is so explosive and it's awesome when the money follows that explosive growth rate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, I think that, like, I don't know. There's not a lot of places, in my opinion, maybe this is just my pessimistic view, in, like, America where you can really, like, strike it big in today's world, right? But one place you can strike it big is technology. Starting an app, starting a business online that can just, like, catch, take hold, and just, like, grow and scale so quickly, right? Like, and I don't know. I think that's the allure for me and maybe for everyone, right, of just, like, it's still possible and this Mm -hmm. is the avenue to do it right yeah and you told me before the podcast that you're gonna have eric Pedersen on here soon uh i took his entrepreneurship class in college and there's a few different types of businesses you can start uh the two he mainly talks about is like your lifestyle business like hey this is just for me like i'll have maybe a few employees maybe i'll just do it myself and I'll sell it locally or in the state or a small niche and make enough money to support myself and control my time. That's maybe where I'm leaning to more rather than like, I want to hit a big and make a million dollar, billion dollar company. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. There's different avenues you can take with entrepreneurship. It doesn't have to be like, hey, you got to put in 70 hours a week to hit a big. It can be, it can vary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. There's a, many different types of businesses and, and each one can correspond with a different lifestyle that you want to lead. Yeah. Right. Like if you want to be Elon Musk sleeping on your like garage floor <laughs> all night, like there, there's a life for that, yeah. you know? Um, and also if like you have five, 10 hours on the weekend and you just want to fill a couple orders, you know, there's that as well. So yeah. there's lots of different routes to take. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, I think um, with that, actually, I, mean, I kind of want to move on to one final topic before we kind of wrap up for today. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, definitely been a recurring topic on this this podcast. Um, but it's just such an interesting thing because I'm interested to see how it affects different um, programmers, right? Like different divisions, yeah. you know, like front end. And that's uh, that topic is artificial intelligence, of course. And so, right off the bat, I just kind of want to ask you, Cade. So, I mean, the ad, the big advent of ChatGPT was, I guess it was last it was last December, wasn't it? I th- I think that's when it, or may have been. That sounds about right. But um, yeah, I mean, since then, do you feel like your your life coding or at home has changed as a result? 
when you had Kendall on, he talked about. <laughs> you guys were funny about it. <laughs> the the gloom and doom of AI taking over. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but Clint, our CEO, he like just took this stuff in. Like AI is the future. We got to grab it, or we're gonna fall behind. And so he kind of drilled that into us for like two months straight. And it was it was hard for me at first to be like, this thing's sketchy. Like if it takes my job, I don't want to use it. <laughs> I don't want to support it. But he kept driving home like it's going to be here no matter if you take it or not. So might as well use it to take it to be an advantage or to stay up with your competition in the career field. And so that's where I after a couple of months, I was just like, OK, I'll adopt it and use it in my day to day. So I use ChatGPT every day uh, in one form or another, whether that's the actual ChatGPT website or Copilot or uh, Copilot Chat I really loved in VS Code. Because, uh, I mean, you're just right there. You highlight some code and ask a question, and it tells you what's wrong or what you could fix. Or I love it to say, clean up this code. Because I'm still learning. Like I think we all are, but sometimes I'll just know like inside this code sucks it's ugly <laughs> so i'm like hey how would you clean this up and it it helps clean up my code um so yeah i use it every day uh i even download it on my phone to use in my like normal life instead of going to google for some stuff i'm like hey how would you do this even to like i don't know like with drop shipping marketing is huge like writing content for stuff i'm just like hey here's my product Type me up a description for this. Be SEO friendly to these certain keywords so that it markets well. Uh, my audience is athletes, and could you write that to them? And then it just writes these perfect descriptions, or I need to tweak them a little bit, but it takes so much work out, whether that's in everyday life or coding. So, yeah, I think it's extremely advantageous and a bad idea if you aren't using it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so a couple follow-up questions to that. So you said, yeah, not like you should be using it, right? I guess my question is, we, we kind of developed our programming skills at an interesting time, right? Because it was really right before the mm -hmm. beginning of this. Yeah. Um, are you glad that you had a base before <laughs> this came along? Yeah. And if so, I guess why, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I think about that a lot, just like with school in general now. Like, how are kids going to, if they can, I know they say they have some mechanisms to check against ChatGPT, but I feel like you could probably fool that in some way or another. Uh, but I just wonder, like, man, if these kids just have this growing up, like, how are they going to gain basic skills that they need to think through problems and problem solve? So, yeah, I think it would be it would have made college easier but i think my problem solving skills would be lacking uh especially with like you know those code grinder questions we'd be doing in college i'm sure i would just be like if i got stumped instead of asking somebody to like help teach me something i would have just been like chat fix this <laughs> and had to do it for me so yeah i think it could have been a detriment but I don't know. It's useful in a career field. Yeah, no, it definitely is. But I think I actually agree with you. It's like, I definitely noticed, because I've been using it pretty heavily, definitely 
um, since it came out and man, I've noticed like I'm like starting to atrophy a little bit in some areas, right? Like definitely with like syntax, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I, I just really like getting general ideas across, you know, because I like, I, I don't know. I, I think about stuff a lot in structure, right? Like organization and structure and like how things need to feed in and feed out of each other and like how they're going to catch and stuff. Right. Yeah. All those things are top of mind for me already. <clears throat> and it's like, if you just have a tool that takes away like the like rough, like sharp edges of that, those ideas, you know, mm -hmm. and just like, this is your idea as a programming language, you know, that's, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. It's like one step closer to like telepathy almost, you know, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Have like like the idea materializes as you think it right and yeah. i think that's uh that's great right it's like way speeds up innovation in our world you know of like the closer you can get you know from that idea process to the actual execution of the idea like the more awesome our world's gonna be you know like we're probably gonna go to space and beyond or something <laughs> soon um but yeah no i i really like everything that you touched on there but i also do like the fact that like I guess we kind of learned our skills before this was available yeah. because we really did for the most part, like have to grind through and just like ask people or just think like think or whatever, look up on stack overflow, right? Like the, all of those things might become relics of the past, you know, in the near future. So, uh, yeah, yeah a lot, a lot of things to consider here. Yeah. <clears throat> it may have even changed what I focused on in college, knowing that AI would hit so big. Mm -hmm. Like we took, did you take AI, the AI class in college? I took machine learning. Machine learning, similar probably. Uh, I didn't take it very seriously. I was, <laughs> I, and I'm sure the concepts they're teaching maybe are a little outdated to compared to like what ChatGPT would offer uh, or OpenAI. Um, but it might change the way I think about my career choice in like, hey, maybe I should focus my knowledge a little bit more on machine learning or AI and understand really how it's working with vector databases or something just so that my mind is geared more towards that because I'm sure as you guys have talked about like that career field is going to expand more and more and maybe our like web development falls a little bit behind and maybe some jobs start getting cut from like early web development people um so yeah it is interesting and I think that leads really well into my next question which hopefully kind of ties all this together is like how do you as a front-end developer in 2023 see the future of front-end development changing in the near future either as a result of ai or just other influences yeah uh i think we'll start seeing web developer positions get cut it's not to say that they'll be obsolete because there's going to be companies that maybe aren't utilizing AI or uh, need a specific reason for a web developer. Uh, I just don't think it's going to market like the market for it won't be as big for like entry level web developers. Uh, it's not to say that there won't be jobs for them, especially as you get into like the deeper front end engineering where you're working with data and you are working with architecture on a front end level of how things work together, how you're gonna integrate these APIs into your app and make it flow so it's nice for a user. Like OpenAI, AI in general isn't there yet. And I don't know how long it will take to get there. And I, the game enter for me of like, 
yo, this is going to cut our market, like our job market in half. If it ever gets there, it's like, hey, AI, here's my entire repository of code. Understand it and find bugs with it. Or I have this bug. Why is it doing this? And it pinpoints exactly where your bugs are at or how to add a feature exactly in which files and in a nice clean structure. If AI gets there, then yeah, it's a little more scary on like what happens to jobs, but I don't think we're really even close there yet, especially seeing like ChatGPT results getting worse to me since the beginning of the year. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's close, uh, hopefully, but yeah. I think you touched on a really important piece there, right? Is I think the maybe biggest blind spot of current LLMs or like generative AI mm -hmm. is um, context, right? Yeah. Piecing together many, 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 many pieces all at once, right? And like understanding how they work together, right? I mean, we don't do that that often, right? We're, we typically just deal with one very thin slice of like a, a big stack and like either solve a bug or like fix a problem in there, right? Um, but we're like generally aware of like the whole context as well, right? And mm -hmm. uh, AI just isn't quite there yet, right? It only understand that understands that kind of like thin sliver and like some other things, you know, maybe yeah. obscure on the outside. But yeah, yeah, I think I think that your uh, prediction is probably pretty accurate, you know, of like, and I think I I think I agree with it as well. That I think that there is going to be. <laughs> maybe not a day, but like a time period of reckoning, reckoning in the technology space of just like, like, I don't know. I don't want to say like contributors versus non-contributors, but it's like, it's honestly probably going to come down to the people who can create the thing that's going to replace them, right? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or just like add a lot of ideas and um, knowledge to like that domain, like a front end development, right? Because it's not like user experience or like, like wanting to see a user interface is going to go away at all. Like it's going to get stronger and more powerful, right? And like, it's going to need if it is like a big artificial intelligence, it's going to need like well trained programmers to tell it like, mm -hmm. this is what a good UI looks like, like, yeah. this is how it flows, like, this is what people want, like, and this is how you innovate when it like when technology changes, right? Because like, it's all of that context that's, yeah. that's missing, right? When we just like let the machine loose on it sometimes, right? Yeah. And even to say like, if if this were to happen and our repositories were well understood by AI, you'd still need at least one or two engineers to like understand architecture, understand how these pieces fit together because I don't, <laughs> it's hard to say I never will see this, but at this point, I don't see AI just like completely having a hundred percent idea of how things should work because it's, there's human design elements to it. So like you need to be able to have AI generate something awesome for you and then be like, actually, I want to tweak this. And if you don't know how to read that, then you're going to, then you're falling behind. So it's like, yeah, it's important to have your basics, have your, uh, knowledge up to par or and then yeah. yeah then you can keep up i think exactly and i think you bring up a good point there right it's like the best apps and the best like user interfaces out there are are architected specifically for their use case right mm. they're not general purpose like yeah. 
that's why they're hitting it big because exactly yeah (laughs) right it's very like and that that also requires a lot of human intervention to look at the problem from a human perspective right and be like humans are going to buy this eventually and say like how are we going to make it so they want to buy it like very much so right Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i don't know yeah this uh i feel like this session of artificial intelligence was like more like a rise to resistance you know like it's it's not as strong as it, as it is <laughs> it's like we're still here yeah. um but also i guess day of reckoning so watch, <laughs> watch out for that one uh cool yeah i, I think that that really hits on uh, most of the topics that i wanted to cover today mm-hmm. uh, do you have anything else you want to say on you know ai or any of the other topics we covered today <clears throat> No, I think I think we pretty well touched on it. Um, yeah, like I said, entrepreneurship is my passion. Ish, <laughs> software engineering is my passion. Entrepreneurship is my passion. Uh, so if that's you, like you just gotta work work at it and grind. Yeah, and I think Kate is a great example of all of those things. And uh, you should check him out on LinkedIn and probably Instagram or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. Like, okay. That's my last piece of advice. Yeah. Always be networking. Like mm. if you're not finding ways to network and find opportunities, like all my opportunities are because I have had friends that brought me in or because I knew somebody, Eric Pedersen's brought me onto two jobs or startups, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so that's almost as, it's not as important, but you get your software engineering skills there, and if you're networking, like you'll have a job. Absolutely, yeah. tons of opportunities for people who are well connected in yeah. the tech world, especially. Yeah, hundred percent yeah. agree with that. Sweet, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the episode today, Cade. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>